Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Thank you, Ken. If you will, <clears throat> excuse me, join me in the pastoral prayer. O oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to our prayers this morning, Lord. We confess our sin this morning. We know, Lord, that our sin creates a barrier in between us and you, as you tell us in your word. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for not obeying your word, for ignoring and resisting your Holy Spirit, and for seeking our own will above your own. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our failures and trusting you with every breath that we take, every decision we make, every moment of our lives. But Lord, we ask for forgiveness with complete faith that Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sin and we're righteous in your sight. It's by your blood that we have been washed clean. It's by your wounds that we have been healed and set free. We thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, we bring before you now those in our congregation who are sick. We ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring relief, that you would bring comfort, and you would bring patience as you choose at times to delay your healing. I pray that you would strengthen our faith in your decisions, give us complete trust in you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the sick to our minds as we pray, that you would move us to faithfully be uh, in prayer and bring them to you in prayer. I pray that you would move us to take care of the sick, Lord, that we would uh, take them meals or give them calls or send them cards, whatever it is, Lord, to know, let them know that we love them. I pray, Lord, that uh, I also want to bring before you Jeremy Agri and his family, uh, our missionaries in the Ivory Coast and Africa. I pray that you would continue to use them mightily for the kingdom. Lord, I, I know they're going uh, out on another uh, mission, uh, another eye clinic here soon, and we ask that you would give them safety as they travel, success as they uh, operate on the cataracts of those in that land, Lord, and um, more importantly, we ask for opportunities to share the gospel and that you would do more than give sight to the blind, but you would take off, take away the stony hearts of that country, Lord. That you would bring your children to you through Jeremy's ministry, Lord. Holy Spirit, we, as we come before your word this morning, we ask that you would illuminate the word that we would hear, uh, you would give us ears to hear and, and eyes to see and hearts that will apply your word with your help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. 
I ask for your help. I ask for your strength and clarity of mind and, and proclaiming your message to your people. We love you, Lord. We trust you completely. We ask that you would work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Or you can stay and watch me cover 60 verses like I've never done before. Some of you are thinking, I think Ken read too much. <laughs> Ken especially. Oh, well, good morning, church. So good to be here. Good to be in Acts. I love this passage because it gives us this, this sweep through the Bible from Abraham all the way to uh, the Messiah, Jesus, and even Stephen. And as we're reading the Bible, we see all throughout the Bible, there's this stream of, of faithful people uh, that are moving, moved along by the Holy Spirit. They're doing the work of God. They're advancing his kingdom. They're, they're doing all that he has set in motion before the creation of the world. But running alongside that stream is this raging river of unfaithfulness. We see this huge mass of people that are unfaithful and fighting against God's plan of redemption. And at times, the, the unfaithful seem so dominant that the faithful seem to almost disappear. Like we don't see them anymore. We don't hear them anymore. Almost as if God's plan had failed. But as the trickle of the faithful remnant seems to all but vanish, we get to the New Testament. And Jesus bursts in on the scene, in the scene and, and his life and his death and resurrection and his ascension make a way for the rivers of faithfulness to flow freely. And he sends a spirit to enlist his people, to empower believers to participate in the building up of Christ's church, to participate in God's plan of redemption. But we also see those resisting the Holy Spirit are found opposing God. So for many believers, and so many want to be on the fence. Uh, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They, they want to live like the world now and receive the prize of salvation later. But they don't want those two things to mix too much. But Jesus makes it very clear for us in his word. You are either living for him and his kingdom or you're fighting against him and his kingdom. It's pretty black and white. And I'm not sure about you, but Jesus, at the end of my life, I mean, I want to be able to say with Paul from 2 Timothy, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved and longed for his appearing. 
So we see today in Stephen's defense, it's a, a long sermon, a defense, also called an apology. Uh, it's an indictment against those who are opposing God, or those resisting the Holy Spirit. He says, you are going to be found opposing God's plan of redemption and judgment is coming. And he begins by building this legacy of faithful men who have been led by the Spirit. And he points to Abraham. He says, fathers, look at Abraham. He heard God's command. He told him to go from his, the land that he grew up in, his father's land, and go to a place where I will tell you. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He just said, go, I will reveal it to you. And he believed the Lord and he obeyed. And he lived by faith, even though he didn't fully see God's promises realized, even though he didn't even inherit one step of the land that was promised to him, he continued to faithfully live before God, be led by his spirit. And God in his mercy gives him the covenant of circumcision we see in Genesis 17 you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So he gives him this sign, this physical sign of a spiritual reality that he's his people, that he's his chosen one. It's a physical sign that God is going to keep a promise to his people. And then Stephen moves to Joseph. He says, Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers. He was rejected. He was exiled. But he says in the text, but God was with him. God was with Joseph. He was leading him along by his spirit. You know the story. If you don't, I encourage you, go read the story of Joseph. It is beautiful how God guides and delivers him and uses him to be a savior-like figure. So Stephen's painting this picture of the heirs of promise fighting against the very plan of God. The people that were called God's people are fighting against God's very plan. But Joseph becomes, like I said, a savior-type figure. He, he delivers his people, God's people, from, from the famine that comes. He becomes the rejected savior, the, the exiled deliverer, faithful in adversity. Stephen then moves to Moses. We're told Moses is beautiful in God's sight. He's developed as a leader in Pharaoh's house. He acts in love towards God's people. And he says he's trying to deliver God's people from abuse. They're abusing, they're being abused, and, and they're abusing one another. And he also is rejected and exiled. Verse 25, it says, he supposed, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And exiled for 40 years. And this rejected man is called by God through this burning bush in the desert at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. Another savior-like figure sent to redeem God's people but rejected. But he continues to faithfully move forward, being led by the Spirit. 
Stephen then closes with David, which it's kind of crazy that he just kind of breezes by David and, and Solomon and, and he in the picture of the building of the temple. And, and he's showing a picture of covenant faithfulness. These men were faithful to God's leading. David wanted to build the temple, but he said, no, not you. Your son will do it. And his son does it, faithfully following the Lord. And you can see that these men were led along, they were moved along by the Spirit of God, all moving toward God's plan of redemption, participating in what God has called them to do and not participating in what God has told them not to. All displaying this immeasurable grace of God to an unfaithful people. You see, being led by the Spirit leads us to participation in God's plan of redeeming his people. So in the grand story of redemption that that spans all of history, from the very beginning to the very end, we're either those helping build the kingdom or those fighting against the kingdom. Just as Jesus says in Luke 11, 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Running alongside that stream of faithful men throughout the Old Testament are these individuals that are unfaithful and there's this legacy of resisting the Spirit. So we have a legacy of of being led by the Spirit, very few, and this huge mass of people that resist the Spirit. Stephen's defense, he's simply flipping the tables on the Sanhedrin. So they accuse him, if you look back in in chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, this is what they're accusing Stephen of. They secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. He stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. So, so they're saying, Stephen is, is talking against Moses. He's talking against God. He's talking against the temple. He's talking against the law. He's trying to corrode everything that we stand for. He must be stopped. And all Stephen does is simply turn the tables and he shows them, you're actually the ones doing what you're accusing me of. You're actually the ones fighting against the kingdom of God. And he equates them with the patriarchs. Look at verse 9 in chapter 7. The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold them into Egypt, but God was with him. They were jealous of Joseph, just as we saw last week, the Sanhedrin, the council were jealous of the apostles. They wanted to shut them up. They wanted to get rid of them, just like the patriarchs wanted to get rid of Joseph. He equates them even with Pharaoh, who was found opposing God. Look at verse 17. But as the time of promise drew near, so God promised Abraham that they would be in the land of Egypt for 400 years. As that time of promise drew near, God had granted to Abraham the people increased. They multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who didn't know Joseph. 
He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they should not be born or not be kept alive. You remember the massacre of the, the Jewish, the Hebrew boys under two years old. See, Pharaoh rejected God's warnings. He resisted God's word. He resisted God's spirit. He hardened his heart against what God was showing him was the truth. And his hard heart leads him to deal shrewdly with Israel. And Stephen is saying, you look like Pharaoh. You are dealing shrewdly with God's people. You are trying to get rid of the Christians, those who are, who are announcing the coming of the Messiah. He equates them with the Hebrew people uh, that, that opposed Moses. Look at the text, verse 23. When he was 40 years old, Moses, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended and opposed the man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them, and they were quarreling, and, and tried to, he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? The man who was wronging his neighbors thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. They rejected Moses. They rejected the salvation that God was offering to them through him. Even Isaiah says they were rejecting the Holy Spirit and all their affliction he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them and his love and purity, he redeemed them, he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit before he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. They rejected Moses as ruler. They rejected Moses as judge. They rejected Moses as redeemer. They rejected Moses' signs and his wonders. And they fought against each other even. They refused to obey Moses as a representative of God. And just as they rejected Jesus as ruler, as judge, as redeemer... Just as they rejected Jesus' signs and wonders, just as they rejected the signs and wonders of the apostles, Stephen is saying, you are guilty. And Stephen warns them about how Israel rejecting the spirit of God led them into idolatry. We see, didn't you, didn't you bring slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years of the wilderness? O house of Israel, verse 43, you took up the tent of Molech, who's another god, the star of your god, Raphan, the images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. He says, you've worshipped the very things I created, the very things I made you to rule over, you have worshipped. The same thing is said later in Romans. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Are you starting to get that Stephen is telling the Sanhedrin, you're going to pay for judgment. You're going on the same path and you're going to judgment. They've even idolized the temple and they had forgotten that God was the Lord of the temple. Verse 48, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is this place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? And those who resist the Messiah today are on the same path. You're rejecting the leading of the Spirit will lead you into idolatry. It'll be idolizing yourself, idolizing your family, idolizing your money or your, your job or whatever, but it will pull you away from the one true God. It'll pull you away from the truth that he's been revealing to you all of your life. And the down spiral continues, and we see they're resisting the spirit leads to their killing of the prophets generation after generation after generation. They're killing of Jesus, the Messiah, the righteous one, he says. The killing of Stephen here uh, at the end of this chapter. The persecution of the church in the next chapter and throughout Acts. You see, it's those found resisting the Holy Spirit who are found opposing God's plan of redemption. For those in Israel who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah, he says, Stephen says, behold, Verse 56, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's quoting Daniel 7. Behold, he says, I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah and his standing is a symbol that he's coming in judgment against those who reject him. Jesus says the same thing for those who resist the Spirit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He says in Luke 12, 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is heavy, a heavy passage. It's, a, it's an apology, it's a, it's a defense, but it's, it's a proclamation of judgment on those who resist the Messiah. But that leads us to tests, tests that we're being led by the Spirit. How do I know I'm being led by the Spirit? I'm going to fail. Yes. Test one, do you know that you're a stiff-necked people? The idea of being stiff-necked um, is the idea of an ox that doesn't want to bend its neck to the will of its master. He doesn't want to move the direction the master wants him to move. He stiffens his neck so that he doesn't have to turn. He doesn't have to obey. He can do what he wants. He can keep eating this grass. He doesn't have to plow if he doesn't want to. 
In us, that means that we resist the Spirit. It means that we desire our own will over the will of God, ultimately that we sin. In all of our lives, there are times when we stiffen our necks against God's will. We know that. As Christians, we know I stiffen my neck because there's things I don't want to do that God's calling me to do. But the difference between those who are being led by the Spirit and those who are truly stiff-necked is found in conviction. Jesus says, and when the Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I want you to notice the conviction we see of this same message that is proclaimed to the Jewish people in Acts 2. He says, now when they heard this, Peter had just got done preaching, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They're convicted. They knew we've sinned against Jesus. We've sinned against the Messiah. What shall we do? But look at our text today. Look at verse 54. When they are told of their sin, when they are told that they're a stiff-necked people, they, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth. They took Stephen out. They rushed upon him all together. They grabbed him. They drug him outside the city and they killed him. You see, conviction should lead us to repentance. We see in Acts, he continues on. He says, repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ anointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of his restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and do whatever he tells you. Conviction should lead us. We, we know that we're stiff-necked people. We need the word to be sharper than any two-edged sword. We need it to expose the, the wicked parts of our soul so that we can repent and follow Christ. That's test one. Test two, have you been spiritually circumcised? <laughs> the covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham as a, as a sign in the flesh that he and his people were a, a people of God. It was a sign in the flesh of a spiritual reality of who they actually were. But the circumcision of the heart and of the ears is a spiritual reality that affects our physical life. When we are spiritually circumcised in our heart and in our mind, we look and act like Jesus. We see this in Deuteronomy 10. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments and the statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Seems like an easy list, right? Impossible list. 
circumcised, therefore, the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. He says, those whose hearts are circumcised, they fear the Lord. They walk in his ways. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord. They keep the Lord's commandments. He's cutting away all of the things that do not look like him, and he's making us look like Jesus more and more. And if I stop there, you could leave here and think, okay, I need to do all of these things to look like Jesus. But you can't do any of those things. He knows you can't do any of those things. That's why he says later, and the Lord will be the one who will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and that you may live. It's God who promises to do this in your life. He's the one that promises to cut away the things that do not look like him and build up in you the things that do so that you more and more are looking like Jesus. He promises this in Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel on those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will give them one heart and one way, and they will fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This is a work of God. You need more? I'll give you more. And I will give you a new heart, Ezekiel 36. I'll put a spirit a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Church, this is exciting stuff because we read in the Bible, I'm supposed to look like God. I'm supposed to look like Jesus Christ. I can't do that because I keep struggling in the flesh. And God says, I know. That's why I sent my son to you. That's why I promised you from the very beginning that I am going to be the one that does this. I am making you my people. I am the one doing this for you. And with you. So you can test, am I being led by the Spirit by asking, do my desires, do I desire to please the Lord more than I desire to please other people or even myself? Do I walk with the power of his spirit in his ways? Am I dependent on him? Are my affections growing for Jesus Christ or is it just flatline? Is my service to the Lord preeminent in my life? Do I work to keep his commandments, not to earn his favor, but because I know, I know, because he's put his law in me, I know that it's good and true. You see, we can test our own lives to see if we're actually living out what we profess. It's easy to say, I follow Jesus. But does my life look like I follow Jesus? Am I just fooling myself into thinking I believe something I actually don't believe? If you look at your life this morning and you say, I've never lived, I've never lived the life I confess to live. I've never relied on God. I've I've always resisted the Spirit. I got good news for you. Repent and turn to Jesus. Don't be like the Sanhedrin who refused to hear the word of God. 
Test three, have you received Jesus as the righteous one? It says that they killed, behold, excuse me, um, verse 52, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah as the righteous one, the one that came to save the world. But have you received him as the righteous one? John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. But he's not a fool. He knows that we're going to struggle. He knows that we're going to have a hard time. He knows that we're going to even try to exalt our own righteousness. He says, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the righteous one. He is the one that I bank all of my salvation on. Not be, I can't be the righteous one. You can't be the righteous one apart from Jesus Christ. Have you received Jesus as ruler? We read in verse 35, they rejected Moses as ruler. That's a shadow of them rejecting Jesus as ruler over them. It's, the, it's a reflection of Israel reflecting God as ruler over them as they desired a king. But Jesus is the rightful king. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He is the king. It's to Jesus alone we shall bow our knee. It's to Jesus alone we're called to obey. He's our Lord. He's our judge. Have you submitted to Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord, the one whom you obey? Have you received Jesus as Redeemer? He's the only redeemer. You can't pay for your way. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's we are purchased by his blood on the cross. We were redeemed by his blood on the cross. We cannot save ourselves. We have to receive Jesus as our redeemer. And that rolls into test four. Are you obedient to the Lord? And this doesn't mean, are you obedient so you earn salvation? Do you work your way up so that you're good enough? There's no one that's good enough. I read Psalm 53 last night. It's pretty condemning. No one. No, not one. That's not why we are obedient. It's an evidence of, I believe what I actually say I believe. It's an evidence that I love Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Spirit of God will always lead us to obedience. And just as there's tests, there's evidences. There's evidences in our lives. So we can test our life. Am I, do I look like this? And there's evidences that arise that I do look like this. Evidence one, we're stiff-necked. Oh, that was the same as a test. I told you the difference What's going on here for Stephen by saying you're a stiff-necked people, he's pointing the Sanhedrin back to Exodus 32. He's reminding them of the episode with the golden calf where God delivers them out of slavery and they say, well, Moses is gone. He's been gone for 40 days. He's probably not coming back. Let's make some gods and go back to Egypt. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Israel had been out of Egypt for about 10 minutes, and they were already refusing to follow the Lord. And to tell the Sanhedrin that this is them, he's telling them, you have been these people the entire time. Resisting the Spirit, sinning against God, going your own way, just as your fathers had always done. It's very important to understand these are very religious men. They looked the part, they sounded the part, they knew the Bible really well. But their hearts were rock hard. Rock hard. They were whitewashed tombs, Jesus tells them. So Christian, let me ask you, are you resisting the leading of the Spirit? Do you sit in here Sunday after Sunday? Do you watch online Sunday after Sunday and never change? Do you read your Bible to point to others? This is where you need to work or to yourself. Do you refuse to obey the living word of God? These are evidences that you're resisting the spirit. But here's the good news. Jesus forgives. We can repent and turn to him today. Evidence two, you have an uncircumcised heart. This means your heart is hard. It's not reflective of God's heart. It's not reflective of God's kingdom. It's not reflective of God's son. An easy test to say, am I here? Is do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind? And do I love my neighbor as myself? Because if I don't, this is already exposing in my heart that I have not been changed. You see, this is what Peter exposes in Acts 2. Notice the response again. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They knew that that exposed them as a people who have never followed God faithfully. What keeps us from being cut to the heart? It's pride. We see way back in Leviticus, so I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. God is warning them if they disobey, he's gonna lead them into captivity as he does. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity. The reason they're hard-hearted is because of pride. They refuse to hear God's word. They refuse to repent. They refuse to go the way that he's calling them to. Look at your own heart. Your heart's the driving factor behind what you say, what you do, how you live, what you believe. Does the evidence point toward a heart that's dependent on Jesus Christ and desiring to reflect Jesus Christ or is your heart rock hard against the things of God? If your heart's been cut open this morning, it's exposed, hear Peter's words, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit 
for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If your heart's exposed this morning, he's calling you to himself. Evidence three, your ears are uncircumcised. This refers to the deaf to the word. You don't hear what God is saying. You don't hear the voice of the spirit moving. Jeremiah says, to whom shall I speak? Or God says through Jeremiah, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Is the word of God an object of scorn to you? You take no pleasure in it. If so, you can be uncircumcised in the ears. Jesus constantly says, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. So the question is, do you hear the Lord? And I don't mean audibly, as you hear my voice right now. I mean, do you hear in such a way that you know and understand God's word? That you're called to action, that you're convicted of sin, that you're propelled into service. If not, if everything falls flat, when you hear the word proclaimed, when you read the word and your, your, your emotions are not stirred and you're, you're, uh, you don't apply any of it, if it doesn't cause you to long to be holy as he is holy, these are evidences you're not hearing the word. But here's the good news. Cry out to Jesus and he will hear you and he will forgive you and his spirit will teach you all that he has commanded and he promises to make you look like him. But it's not the time to say, I've been in church for 50 years. I can't admit that I've never heard the Lord. Cry out to Jesus. Don't harden your hearts today. Evidence four. You reject the leaders that God has established. Israel constantly rejected the leaders, the prophets, the judges, the Messiah. They refused to hear the word of the Lord. They refused to listen to the apostles. We have the same that happens in churches today. So many, if they disagree, they'll find someone else they agree with. Paul says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. An evidence that you're not, or that you are resisting the spirit is that you refuse to hear the person set before you as a leader. The Lord raises up his leaders all throughout history of redemption. He has led people to proclaim his word so that they could advance the kingdom. All throughout history, people have refused to submit to those who proclaim the word. It's like everyone is singing Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, and marching to the anthem of I Did It My Way. So many have lost the conviction that the one leading them has been placed there by God. So many leaders have forgotten that too. But again... I bring this up often, Ephesians 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith 
and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So an evidence that you are refusing the Holy Spirit is your refusal to hear the word of God from those placed in positions to proclaim it to you. Finally, the, the fifth evidence is hate. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because it's very obvious. If you hate, your heart is exposing um, that you hate those who God has created in his image. That's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of Christ. If you have hate in your heart, especially towards other believers, deal with it immediately. It corrodes the church, and you could be found resisting the plan of God. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, God will call heaven and earth as witnesses against his people. He creates this type of court scene And he wants to expose to his people that they're not looking like his people. So he gives this list of indictments and he says, this is what I'm bringing against you. Repent and follow me. And in texts like today, we often shake our heads at those who oppose the plan of God, like, like the Sanhedrin here. But if, if we were to use these tests and these evidences to measure our own lives, would we find that we're living for Christ and we're living for his kingdom, or we're guilty for working against Christ and his kingdom? We would do well to daily ask ourselves that question and to cry out to God to lead us by his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for I thank you for difficult passages. I thank you that you tell us this long line of faithful people and and you promise to make us faithful people as as your children. God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that if any have realized this morning that I don't follow Christ, that they would come. I pray that you would help those of us who have backslidden and and look more like the world than we do like your children, that you would forgive us, that we would repent and follow hard after you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.